This morning, I have the privilege of continuing a series we started last week that we are calling A Fulfilled Christmas. And, uh, and I could give you a whole bunch of reasons why we call this series what we call this series, but at the end of the day, you are going to find out, so I might as well just tell you. We like to find any excuse we can whatsoever to talk about Jesus, and Christmas is the perfect excuse. We'll call it different things, but at the end of the day, we just want to talk about the person of Jesus Christ. In fact, last week when Pastor Jeff kicked off this series, he mentioned this, and I've just got to double down on the reality that this whole book, this whole thing is about the person of Jesus Christ. From beginning to end, the Bible is about the person of Jesus Christ. Um, And Christmas is just a perfect excuse in which we get to shine a light on that truth in a little bit more of a pronounced way. Um, That didn't just begin at Christmas. That was true in the book of Genesis. It was true in Leviticus while you're reading through that to help you fall asleep at night. It was true in the book of Malachi. This whole thing is about the person of Jesus Christ. And um, we are are going to look at a a funky story in the Old uh, Testament. If you have a copy of the Bible, meet me in Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17. 17. If you don't have a copy of the Bible, uh, the words will appear on the screen and you can follow along that way as we work our way through this story. Exodus chapter 17. This whole thing is about Jesus. Just say verse number one. Here's what it says. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin or Zin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So Exodus chapter 17 opens up with a major crisis of a situation. A couple of million or so Israelites are camped in the desert and there is no water to be found. Now, in ordinary Indiana circumstances... If you have no access to water, your body starts to shut down after a few days and completely shuts off, if you know what I mean, after about a week or a couple of weeks, depending on who you are. Um... These are not Midwest circumstances. This is not an ordinary Indiana situation that they are facing. This is the Middle Eastern desert. If you lose access to water in this place, oh man, you are talking about maybe three days total before dehydration gives way to death Unless you're a child, then we're talking about a little bit less. They are already starting to experience thirst, which is a warning sign that things are about to get dire for them. It says they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. This, make no mistake about it, if we can just add some humanity to this story, is a scary 
situation. They are thirsty and will start to die if they do not gain access to water and gain it quickly. Now, truth of the matter is uh, most of us have never experienced the, the kind of aching thirst that threatens to devastate and take our lives. So it becomes hard to identify with this as more than just an interesting story in biblical history. Um, But yet, I think if we pause long enough and think a little bit and are honest enough with ourselves, we can relate to this story already. We can relate to this first crisis that they are experiencing in the desert. Maybe not in the Midwestern sense, because we have access to water all the time. Uh, Maybe not in the dehydration physical sense. But come on, if we're honest, um, we know what it's like to be in a space or in a season where there is a severe shortage of that thing that you most deeply and desperately long for. We can identify with this thirst in that sense, that we all know what it's like to be in a season or a space in which there's a shortage of that thing, and you feel like if I don't get access to this thing, I don't know how much longer I can carry on. Uh, Maybe for you, it's um, a dry season of marriage. In where there just seems to be a famine of, of emotional connection. There's just no affection. There's no feeling. There's no conversation. And any conversation just feels forced and fake at best. Y'all aren't talking and quality time is your sustenance. And you can remember a day when conversation flowed. There was conversation all over the place. So much chit-chat, chatter that you just left the conversation running. You had extra and you can't remember the last time you had a meaningful connection by way of conversation. And the truth of the matter is you don't know how much longer you can keep going at this rate. You know what it's like to experience thirst. Uh, uh, for some of you, it's a, it's a political thirst. I mean, can we go there this early in the week? We, okay, we shall. Um, you may be in a season that feels like politically, this isn't even your country anymore. I mean, if I can just get a sip of life as it used to be. You can relate to deep thirst. I don't know how much longer I can live like this in this place. Maybe for you, it's, it's singleness. It's killing you. <laughs> but these country options that you have feel like desert sand up in here. And uh, I don't know that I can do this for another year. I, I just don't. And maybe for some of you, forget romantic relationships. Just any relationship. Just any meaningful connection with somebody that I can trust. Somebody that I can relate to. Because I feel like I'm surrounded by a bunch of people. But there is nothing 
meaningful? Can I just have a meaningful friendship? I don't know how much longer I can take this loneliness. Uh, maybe for you, it's, it's a thirst for, for, for just peace. Just peace. Just, can I just have a, I crave just a few hours of feeling at peace. A peace that I once took for granted. I just, can I just go an hour without my mind being bombarded with anxious thoughts about all of the things that could possibly go wrong? Being reminded how my money is not safe and, and, and then there's a shortage of, of everything ironically except toilet paper these days and I'm freaking out a little bit. And I try and sleep and there's this new variant I'm hearing about and then there's this new mandate that's around the corner. What I would just for a drop of sleep, just a little bit. We can relate to them. What I would do for a sip of freedom. I just long for those days in my childhood where I wasn't constantly compelled to give in to these impulses that I know are destroying me, but yet I can't say no to my own cravings and I'm going under. I don't know how much longer I can continue to do this. I'm just saying, we know what it's like to want something so deeply that feels like it's out of our reach and to feel like, I don't know that I can keep going like this. That is what was happening with a couple of million Israelites. They're in a desert and the thirst within them is scary and screaming. Verse number two. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. (laughs) This is not new, by the way. You're not unique. I'm not unique. We're not original. We as humanity have been doing this for generations because they do exactly what many of us do a lot of the time when we are desperate or scared. When we are thirsty and longing for something that feels out of our reach, right? We find whoever we believe is responsible. We find whoever we believe is depriving us of that thing that we long for that would make life a little bit more sustainable and we attack them. Because if my spouse was just a different Enneagram number, we would connect better And and, 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 and it wouldn't be so. If my kids would just stop having needs and stuff, my social life would be vibrant once more. If we just had the right politicians, there would be no shortage of, of, of Honda Civics and computer chips. But it's these politicians and we come after whoever we believe is responsible for depriving us of the thing we thirst for. For some of us, we just straight come after ourselves. If I was just a better person, if I was just a stronger person, if I was just a fitter person, then maybe I'd be more desirable and then maybe I'd be more loved and it is my fault and I'm completely sabotaging my opportunity at having meaningful relationships and we attack ourselves. 
Boy, when we feel deprived of what we believe will bring relief or satisfaction, we attack, we argue. There is nothing new under the sun. They come after Moses, blaming him for their thirst, blaming him for their deprivation. Moses gives them such a timeless response. Second part of verse 2, he says, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? This is so good. Moses is like, uh, why are you talking to me about this? Talk to God about it. This is such a great line for parents, by the way. You better take that straight to Jesus right now. Moses is teaching them. Wait, did I make you? No. Did I make you thirsty? No. Um... Did I make water? No. Did I make deserts? Nope. So talk to the one who did. Great time to ask for the manager on this. What do you honestly think I can do about your thirst? Your quarrel is with God. Talk to him. Oh, they don't like his answer. So they ramp up the attack. Verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Wow. Wow. (laughs) These people had been brutalized under the chains of slavery for hundreds of years. And suddenly, a little thirst has them nostalgic for their slave masters. How tough, by the way, rereading this, just thinking, how tough would this have been for Moses? Remember, Moses was the guy who was trying to convince God, send someone else. I don't want this assignment. Please, I don't want anything to do with this. And now this is what he's experiencing. A group of angry and thirsty people coming after him. Moses, you drew up this diabolical plan. To come and rescue us out of our slavery so that you could murder us and our children by thirst. What? Um, wait, I rescued you from slavery? That was me? I'm the one who split a sea just as part of my master plan? That was me leading you by a cloud of fire by night and a cloud by day. That was, that was me? Okay. They straight turn on Moses and blame him for plotting their children's demise. Man, that would sting. That would hurt. And yet such a great reminder... That scared and desperate people say scared and desperate things, don't they? A great reminder, their kids are hours away 
potentially from death. They are not thinking entirely rationally at this point. Because no one who is in their right mind longs for the chains of slavery. And frankly, no one who's in their right mind forgets that if we're thirsty, Moses and his family must be thirsty too. Scared and desperate people say scared and desperate things. By the way, some of you needed to hear that. Scared and desperate people can say scared and desperate things. Because during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic, people you thought you knew turned on you and they said some of the most wounding things. And after all of these years and all we've been through together, you are going to turn on me and say, what? I plotted what? The fact that I wear that means what? The fact that I don't means what? Really? We are not talking anymore? You don't trust me around your children after 30 years? What? You said what? Because scared and desperate people say scared and desperate and hurtful things. I just wonder if maybe it was a thirst speaking. This made me think like maybe I need to reconsider and and retroactively throw some compassion on some of the situations that were most wounding to me. Maybe with a little understanding that you were scared and the thirst was screaming. I wonder if there's anyone in your life who could use a little compassion or grace in light of their screaming thirst. Verse number four. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Things had escalated. Um, so Moses decides to take his own advice and talk to God about it. So he rushes into the presence of God with his hurt and, and, and with his fear and with all of his feelings because his own people are about to kill him. God, what should I do? They're afraid that they're going to die. And I'm afraid that their fear is going to kill me. They are holding rocks in their hands please help please help um and god responds he always does yeah moses i got this um and and the way god takes care of this thirst crisis is epic I don't care who you are. You Listen, we are spoiled. Some of us who have grown up around the Bible that we've read these stories over and over again. I don't care who you are. You would never have guessed how stylish God would be about resolving this crisis that they're experiencing. This is epic. No one would have seen this coming. Verse number five. The Lord answered Moses. Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand that big old walking stick, the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. 
um, God says to, 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 to Moses, hey, uh, grab a few trusted leaders, grab your walking stick, and go. Stand before the people. Um, I, I love God's response to Moses. I love God's response to Moses personally for all the times that hurt and fear have made me want to run and hide. I love this verse as a leader. Nope. Go and stand in front of the people. God tells him. Do you don't get to quit. No, hurt doesn't get to drive you away from your assignment. Go and stand in front of the people. No, fear doesn't get to derail you from the thing that I've called you to do. Go back and stand in front of the people. No, don't let the things she said when she was hurt and desperate drive you away from this friendship that you know is a calling to turn the community upside down. Go and stand in front of her door. I love this verse. Don't let hurt distance you from or cause you to quit your marriage. Go and stand in front of the people. Don't let convenience win. I wonder if there's some area in which God would speak that over your life. In which God would speak that over something he's called you to. Something he's commanded you to do. Get back in the fight. Go and stand in front of the people. Now don't do it alone. Because you know he's crazy. Right? Take some trusted people. Involve them in the situation. Get some wise counsel. Surround yourself with some prayer warriors. But don't be tempted to quit yet alone. Oh no, outsource. Get some people around you and go back into the thing I have called you. Go and stand in front of the people. And then this just gets better. Verse number six. Then God says, and oh, I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Woo, I love that. I will be with you. And two million dissenting and angry and thirsty voices will not be able to stand up against my purposes through you because I will stand with, go and stand before the people and rest assured whenever you stand in your calling, I'll stand with you. I know what they said, but I will stand with you. Go before the people like the leader I've called you to be. I know how scared you are, but head to the rock. I know the economy seems a little suspect to you, but I will be with you. I know you feel like you have nothing to give. Like, what are you supposed to do about this crisis? I got this and I got you. So go and stand in front of the people. I will be with you. 
go stand in front of that massive rock, and there I will be with you. Oh, and when you're standing in front of a few hundred thousand people who are thirsty and angry and holding rocks in their hands, here's what I want you to do, God says. Second part of verse 6. I want you to strike that rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. Come on, come on. The Bible is just something else. God rolls like only God can roll. Of all the ways God could have solved this thirst crisis in the desert. Again, I, this is not what I saw coming. This is some M. Night Shyamalan Beyond stuff right here. I did not see this, to be honest. Water will come out of a rock in the desert. Okay, Lord, see, um, they already think I'm a, a psycho premeditating mass murderer. Now they'll just think I'm crazy on top of it. Please don't make me go and hit a rock. But that's me. Moses actually does it. (laughs) He walks in front of these people. Takes his big old walking stick in his hand. And he smacks that rock. Hard too. Boom. Except harder, because he was stronger than I am. Um, Hits that rock hard. If that was me, I'm not going to lie. Like I'd have snuck up, stood next to the rock, grabbed the stick, and then just kind of like tapped it a little bit while I coughed. You know, like, (laughs) just to see if anything would happen. Just to hedge my bets. I'm not taking that risk in front of these people. Um, But not Moses. That's not how Moses... Response, Uh, he went all in, did the insane thing God asked him because I think by now he had seen crazier things. He's like, yeah, so anyway, story behind this big walking stick. So one time, like I stuck it in the water and he'd seen some things. So he went all in. And by the way, even though this passage doesn't explicitly say it, we know that the moment Moses struck the rock Water came gushing out of that rock in the desert and thousands upon thousands of thirsty and desperate people drank to their content and they lived in that space. Terrifying thirst satisfied by a rock in the Desert, I must be the only one impressed. Verse number seven. And he, Moses, called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord. Is the Lord among us or not? Wow, by the way. How powerful is that? Because when things get scary and when things feel desperate and when things feel painful, that is always a great opportunity to answer that question. Is the Lord in this or not? Is the Lord among us 
or not? What an incredible, is God in this space and in this season or not? When you feel most desperate and most angry and most thirsty and the longings don't seem to be met, that is always a perfect time to answer the question, is God still here or is he not? What an incredible question. Whenever there's severe shortage of the thing you most greatly long for, heaven is asking the question, do you believe God is still with us or not? Is God still with you in this season of emptiness or not? Is he still with you in the loneliness or not? Is God still with you in this famine of affection in your marriage or not? Is God still with you in this country that doesn't feel like your own and is creating all kinds of anxiety? Is he still in this or not? Is he still with you in the restless nights or not? Is he still with you in the moments when you feel like you can't say no to that craving or not? It's always the perfect time to answer this question critical question is he still here or not and some of us need to answer that question with the declaration of faith this morning is he still with you or not what an incredible question and yet for hundreds of thousands of israelites they decided no god was with us when he unshackled us from slavery fact God was with us when he split the sea and we walked on dry ground. Fact. God has been with us in this pillar of fire and this cloud by day. Fact. But now we are thirsty and experiencing a little bit of a crisis and now he bailed on us. So let's attack Moses. So Moses named that place testing and quarreling. Because of the declaration that season of thirst revealed in God's people. Now I'm just saying, if you're mad at a lot of people right now, that may be your clue. That you believed it was on them. It was them. And you know, they were the ones who, who, who held the power. Or, or they were the ones who... No, the question is, is God still in it or is he... Is he not? And when we start to attack and we start to quarrel and we start to argue and we start to have beef with people, that's usually a declaration that we've decided. God's not with us here. Because if I believe that, man, I'll be paying so much more attention to where God is standing than where two million people are even though they may have rocks in their hands. That's not easy, granted, but it's constantly an opportunity to grow in answering that question. Um, has anyone ever read Numbers chapter 20? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a really fascinating story. Let me give you the summary um, of what happens in Numbers chapter 20. So the Israelites are in a desert, and... Um, they have no access to water. Stop me if you've heard this one before. So uh, they come after Moses and Aaron with anger and desperation and accusation. So Moses and Aaron, they run into the presence of God. This is about a year later. Look what happens. Uh, Numbers chapter 20, uh, we'll have it up on the screen. Verse number 7. The Lord said to Moses, all right, 
take that big old walking stick and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Speak to that rock in that particular location before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. God tells Moses, okay, go and talk to the rock. Because that's what sane people do, right? And then you know the rest. But this time, Moses is going through a painful season of his own. His big sister Miriam has died not too long ago. And this dude doesn't have much time to grieve the loss of his sister before the Israelites come to him with this. Accusing him of trying to kill their animals with thirst. I'm sorry, what? We're doing this again? After I just lost my sister? What do you think, Moses? Is God still with you here? Verse 9. So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, he snapped y'all. Listen, you rebels. Must we bring water out of this rock? Then Moses raised his arm and he struck the rock twice with his staff. Boom. Boom. And water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. By the way. This, for me, is such an encouraging section of Scripture. I, I, I don't know if I hate to say it or I like to say it, but it's an encouraging section of Scripture. I'm like, okay, because I like to read this with a little judgment on the Israelites. But then I reread it, and I'm like, they are such a picture of us. They are such a picture of broken and fallen humanity, aren't they? I'm like, wait a minute. Didn't God just, like... Months ago, show up in this same space under these exact same circumstances. And here you are cycling right back, rinse and repeat to the same old dysfunctional habits. Come on. If you're that person who feels like I should be further by now, why am I still struggling with the same thing? I love this picture of humanity because we are broken, messed up people who are so desperately in need of a savior, which is why Jesus came. Look at these people. They're back in the exact same situation complaining. Anyway, back to Moses. Um, He takes two swipes. He cracks that rock hard. (laughs) Two times, same as before. And the rock becomes a river source and everyone quenches their thirst. Verse 12, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, 
Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. So while the Israelites are hailing Moses a hero because of what he just did to bring water out of the rock, God is fuming. And he tells Moses, because of this rock striking stunt, you're out, buddy. You are not going to set foot into the promised land that I've given to these people. Wow. Which I don't know about you, but to me, I'm like, that's a puzzling consequence. That seems a little harsh for a guy who just lost his sister. That seems a little harsh for a guy uh, uh, who didn't want to do this in the first place. This seems a little harsh for a guy who's obeyed you in so many other ways. You are going to take him out of the promised land because he hit a rock. That seems a little harsh to me. It only starts to make sense. In fact... This whole story only really starts to make sense when you read it through the lenses of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. I don't know if I told you this whole thing is about Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 1. Here's what Paul says. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud. That they all passed through the seas, talking about the Israelites. They were all baptized into Moses um, in the cloud and in the sea. They all shared with Moses in this experience. Verse 3. And they all ate the same spiritual food. That's the manna that fell from heaven. And drank the same spiritual drink. That's the water that came out of the rock. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was Christ. This whole thing is about Jesus. I don't know if you knew. It's all about the person of Jesus. Not just at Christmas, but every nanosecond in history. And God strategically plants these pictures all over the Bible to remind us of that fact. If we pay attention. Paul says, the rock was Jesus. While I'm still stuck on, hang on a second. Scientifically, it seems a little bit implausible that water came out of a rock. I'm still trying to figure out water came out of a rock in a desert. Paul throws in, oh, and the rock was Christ. Plot twist. The rock was a physical representation of the person and presence and provision of Jesus while they were in the desert season of thirst. The rock was Jesus. Come on, J-Lo. Don't be fooled by the rock that you've got. The Bible is so good, by the way, and Jesus is so much better. I don't think I could even begin to scrape the depths of what this all means but a number of things that stood out to me in that first corinthians 10 passage the rock is christ the rock was christ christ you know christ the savior the savior man um 
Because this is our story, right? That when we were in our most desperate season of need, we were dying, spiritually shutting down for a lack of the righteousness we needed to stand in the presence of God, to stand before the judgment of God. Oh, we were spiritually desperate. You and me and our kids and our friends and our co-workers, all of us. We may have looked fine on the outside, but inside, spiritually, sin was dehydrating us. And it was just a matter of time before it completely destroyed us in death forever and ever and ever. And there was nowhere we could go. There was nothing we could do to find access to even a drop that could clean us of our sin, let alone give us life. And then Jesus came. That's what Christmas is. And then Jesus came into our world and he went to the cross for our sins. And as he stood on the cross in the most puzzling of scenes, you know what God said? God said, okay. Yup. You may strike my son. And when you do, watch, rivers of life and freedom and forgiveness are going to come rushing from him. And anyone who by faith takes a drink of it shall live forever and ever and ever because the rock was Christ. I don't know what you may be running to or or looking. You're in a spiritual desert. Apart from the rock, his salvation, we have no hope. The rock is Christ. But he's more than our savior. He's our, our supplier. He's so good. The rock was Christ. He is our supply. Jesus is the one who provides exactly what we need in our seasons of shortage. It's Jesus. When we just don't have enough of that thing we so deeply and desperately long for and need to keep going. The rock is Christ. When Moses struck the rock in the desert, it became a source of water continually flowing for as long as the Israelites were camped in that place. That's how they survived. The rock was their supply. The rock was their sustenance. And I don't know what Paul means when he calls it spiritual drink, spiritual water. I don't know. All I know is when I read the stories in the Old Testament, there are very few stories of people getting sick when they were drinking the water that came from that rock. I don't know. All I do know 
is the rock became the way the Israelites survived in a space where they had no business surviving. Listen, church, Christ is the rock. He's our supplier. Please hear me. It ain't Moses. It's the rock. Moses just hit the rock. That will be a life-preserving mantra for some of you. It ain't Moses. It's the rock. (laughs) I'm just telling you. Your boss at work just hits the rock. Jesus supplies the finances that sustain you. There has to be a return to that truth in the church. Jesus is our ultimate supplier. It's not the government. It's Jesus who ultimately supplies your peace. Watch what happens to a generation when we lose sight of the fact that it's the rock. It's not Moses. Otherwise, you are going to argue yourself red in the face with Moses and the government and whoever you believe is responsible. And it's not the rock. I mean, it's not Moses. It's the rock. It's always Jesus who ultimately supplies. This is such a powerful picture. It's not your dad's words spoken over you. Jesus supplies your ultimate sense of identity and who you are in the eyes of God. Don't be fooled by the rock. That's your supply. He has all you need. We've been mad at too many Moseses in our lives. Desperately depending on too many Moseses in our lives. Forget who holds the stick. Jesus is the rock. And he can show up, by the way, anywhere in places you just can't see how. Wait a minute, but if my boss doesn't, how are we going? Listen, water came out of a rock in the desert. That's a picture of Jesus can do anything, anywhere to sustain his people, however he chooses. He's the ultimate Supplier And I, Jesus is the satisfier. This is something I need to return to over and over again. He's the only one who can ultimately meet and quench our deepest thirsts and longings. If you are looking to the possibility of marriage one day, or your current marriage today, as a thing that's ultimately going to satisfy your deepest longings for connection, oh, you're going to end up coming right back to Moses more angry and more disappointed. You're going to keep coming back to your spouse because they're not doing enough. They need to do more. And eventually you're going to say, if I just had a, 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 a different Moses. No. It's the rock that ultimately satisfies. There are not enough shows to stream to satisfy whatever the ache is inside you. If you think it will, you're going to get so mad at Netflix because there's nothing to watch. Really? Yeah, I've watched everything. (laughs) Oh, man. But we're just like the Israelites in that way. There are not enough friends. 
There's not enough dating sites to make you feel sufficiently loved. There's not enough attention to make you feel significant. You can keep trying to get it, but it's an empty well. It's ultimately the rock. There's not enough food to eat your way to happiness. Jesus is the only rock that satisfies the things you most deeply long for. I wonder if you keep taking Moses' advice, like go to the rock. And the coolest thing is, I'm rapping. The coolest thing Moses showed us in both situations when things uh, got desperate and, and things got tense uh, and he had no idea what to do and he was betrayed and, and, and you know, was being accused and the demands and expectations and all of that stuff. He went into the presence of the Lord. And he did the same thing. He just asked God for what he needed. I don't know if you knew, Jesus is the rock that saves and supplies and satisfies. And all you need to do is ask him for what you need. All you need to do is ask. All you need to do is ask. Let me put it this way. All you need to do is just speak to the rock. In fact, this is so important that it cost Moses the opportunity to go into the promised land, right? Because if you're like me, I'm like, I'm sorry, but it seems a little harsh, God, what you did. What's the big deal about Moses striking the rock, woo, it's the gospel of grace, y'all. This is God saying to Moses, hey, Jesus, my son, will be struck one time. After that, you only need to speak to the rock for life. You only need to speak to him for what you need. He was struck on the cross. Now he's a river of salvation. He's a river of supply. He's a river of satisfaction. Just talk to him. Just talk to him. Just ask him for what it is that you need. I don't know what the spirit of God may be saying to you. I don't know where your Christmas, you know, cravings may be. I don't know what the Lord might be inviting you into, but I can assure you whatever the deepest longings or thirsts of your soul are, they are ultimately satisfied in the person of Jesus Christ. And for some of us, we've never said yes to the salvation offer of Jesus to cleanse us of our sins and fill us with freedom and forgiveness. We can't get it any other place. Only the rock can save. And all you need to do is ask him. For some of us, it's we have become so anxious and we are restless because we believe our supply depends on a government or belief, depends on a boss or an employment or an economy and we're freaking out because there's shortages and he is just saying, come back to me and ask me to give you today your daily bread. For some of us, it's man, we are so thirsty in relationships and we're trying to drag and we're trying to do all kinds of things when at the end of the day, Jesus is saying my my presence 
in my presence is fullness of joy. I don't know what it is you need to ask Jesus for, but we would love to join you in asking him for whatever it might be. So I'm going to close here in prayer, and I'm going to ask elders, come on up if you don't mind. Uh, if you want somebody to pray with, we would love to speak to the rock with you, for you, and just believe him to release what it is that you need in this season and in this space right now. So elders, come on up. If you want somebody to pray with, come on up and pray with us. We'll be glad to do that with you. Um, and on your way out, you are going to see um, Amy Holton will be in the mission corner uh, as we continue our Love Ed Love Op. It's so exciting to see your generosity because now we're winterizing some homes connected to the schools that we've come alongside. And to hear stories of people who can't heat their homes and to hear stories of you know, doors and windows that are broken and our church families showing up to make that right is so exciting. And so last week, we offered you an opportunity to take home a little key that represented an amount you're willing to give to be a part of the winterizing process. And we had a certain amount that we hoped you would give and you all went above and beyond it. And I cannot say thank you enough for that in and of itself. But I think for us, it said, well, if our people are giving, then let's help more people. Let's winterize more homes. So if you haven't had an opportunity to give, head on out, right? And may your generosity be the stick that kind of the Lord uses to maybe bring supply into the lives of some folks. Um, So, hey, on your way out, please stop by the mission corner. But for now, Lord, I pray that you would do something so immense in us. Just return us to the place where we believe Jesus is all we ultimately need. Our salvation, our supply, is our satisfier. May we have the faith to ask him for what? We need. And Jesus, I pray that water would flow into the lives of your people as they run to you and ask you for what it is they need. We praise you for who you are. Thank you for being stricken so that we might be saved. It's in your name we pray. Amen.